I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on your way. That's when Red Sox Nation starts rock. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB-wide hot stove. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found, as always, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and literally wherever you can find it on Google. We are basically available everywhere. I am Terry Cushman and am joined as always by Jeremy Schilling. Jeremy, how are you? Depends on how much you egg me on tonight, Terry. (laughs) Well, you never know. We can go from zero to 150 in approximately a fraction of a second. Um, So we'll, uh, the, the rumors, this is outside of the winter meetings this week has been probably the last seven or eight days has been probably the most intense news with literally stuff happening by the hour, uh, signings, you know, minor ones to bigger ones. Uh, Yasmani Grandal in the last 24 hours has uh, landed with the Milwaukee Brewers, surprisingly. Um, still a lot of uh, Machado, Harper, you know, talk, rumors, maneuvering. Uh, so, uh, we'll get right into that. Uh, Yankees pretty quiet lately in the last week or so. Phillies have been pretty quiet on Machado. White Sox kind of created some buzz. It's since kind of simmered down, but they did acquire, uh, one of his workout partners and best friends, John Jay to a one year, four year deal. And of course his brother-in-law was traded there in the month of December from the Cleveland Indians. So they're trying some tactics to try to get him there. Uh, rumors are they're going to offer him, uh, a higher offer than the initial one. No idea, uh, what that will be, but, uh, nothing imminent uh, there. But uh, what are your thoughts in the, in the last, well, basically since we recorded last? Um, that a lot of the players being moved are players that fall within categories that the Red Sox just don't have a need. Um, so, uh, for example, today you texted me about Jed Lowry getting two and t- uh, 20 total with the Mets and uh, my immediate reaction was well really good player really fair deal and then I you know and then I'm like okay like everything else how's it affect the Red Sox well he's a pretty good player 
on a good contract, but we have absolutely no need for the player. So it's one of those situations where a lot of stuff's happening that, that really has no effect on the Red Sox. At this point, it's about <clears throat> re-signing young players if possible and the closer position and, and the depth in the bullpen, which I think we're going to get into tonight. Absolutely. So uh, I guess why don't we just get right into it then. Uh, Zach Britton, who in my opinion really is the best uh, reliever of any of you know the class that was uh, on the market this year. And it was a deep class and you can make a case for other guys as well. But to me, Britton was the premier arm and it, not only does it suck that we didn't get him, but He's going back to the Yankees. And as we were discussing a few minutes ago, he's got a fairly unique deal, which was probably architected, if that's a word, by Scott Boris, where he has a two- to four-year contract. After the second year, each of the first three years is worth uh, $13 million, which seems to be par for the course. You know, uh, Basically the same exact deal for... Uh, David Robertson, and uh, we'll get to Herrera in a minute. But anyway, so $13 million per year. After the second year, the Yankees can pick up the option for the fourth year. And if that option isn't picked up, then Britain has the option to either opt out immediately or play the third year of the deal, which would end up being... I think the final year at 13 million, just like the other three. So it could be anywhere from 26 million to 54 million dollars. So, what are your thoughts on the deal and the fact that we're going to be seeing him for up to 18 or 19 games this year? Um, um, it's not him. It's how how much does he make the Yankees? better um how closer are the teams as a result of the move that's the way i look at it and um i don't think that they're that much closer they're i mean i've been pretty consistent their their need is starting pitching they've they've had an elite bullpen for five years or four years um they lost a piece um <clears throat> and they've since added a piece or or kept a piece um, the, the thing with the Britain deal is that he's not going to be what he was last year. This will be his second full season coming off the injury. And that's the season where these guys typically get back to who they were. Uh, he's only 31. He had a couple of heavy years in Baltimore, but he hasn't been a guy where he's had like 80 outings for like a decade. He's not that guy, at least, you know, and of course, Terry's, you know, quickly Googling factual scenarios to counter my comment but i don't remember him having the the sort of high volume innings that have this type of pitcher breakdown but for his injury so i think this year he's going to be a lot better i think he's going to make the yankees better in the bullpen i think he's going to fill a need with and i'm going to space it on the right-handed reliever who went to the phillies help me terry robertson who left robertson he's gonna he's gonna help solidify the bullpen since they've lost a piece a very valuable piece by the way 
Um, but at the end of the day, um, I don't know how much closer this brings them to the Red Sox, if at all. I don't think it makes them any better. It's a player that was on the roster last year, um, and they still uh, don't have any starting pitching. Um, and one thing that I've been kind of keeping tabs on, just because I actually kind of like the athlete, despite the uniform he wears, the CC Sabathia and his heart condition. What a what a really freaky situation that is. And I will never make light of his health situation and the fact that he had like 90, 90% blockage in his Widowmaker. And uh, it sounds like he was about to hop a flight that could have killed him if if the doctor didn't do his due diligence and call him back to the ho- uh, call him back to the hospital. Uh, but you just don't know what you're, what you're going to get out of Sabathia um, at the end of the day. And they're not, they're spending a lot of money and they're putting some, you know, um, they're, they're, they're spending their time on things like Machado and, and things that they don't need. They need starting pitching. And at this point, you know, we're reaching the middle of January pitchers and catchers report in a month. I mean, why, I almost want to like, why are they not addressing pitch starting pitching? So, um, this, this, this signing specifically does not like concern me that they're all of a sudden better than the Red Sox. Well, I mean, I think it was imperative that they at least brought him or Robertson back. I mean, if, if they both walk and then they don't replace either one, then you're looking at basically Batances and Chapman and, Batances has been up and down. He did kind of rebound in 2018. And then Chapman seems to be having some injury issues. And you have to figure he's not going to be throwing 103 miles an hour forever as well. So, um, you know, they they definitely had to bring one back. And it just sucks that it's the guy that I like the most. Um, But, you know, be that as it may... Uh, the other uh, one who I liked a lot, and I I, th- I call this guy the bargain guy of all of the uh, relievers on the market this year, was Kelvin Herrera. And he kind of gets lost, I think, because he came from small market Kansas City, and they kind of simmered down the last few years. And then he was traded to the Nationals, but then had a foot injury last summer and then was done for the year. So... I think he kind of flew into the uh, offseason under the radar. He gets a two-year, $18 million deal. He is a, uh, I have his numbers right here. He's a career, as my computer freezes, a career 282 guy. And even more impressively, in the postseason, he's a career 126 guy and this is with 22 games so that's a pretty healthy sample size for a reliever and there were quite a few series uh 2014 in the ALDS uh two appearances scoreless then in the uh eight oh that was the ALDS in the ALCS four appearances scoreless four appearances in the World Series that year he gave up Two earned runs, had a 270 ERA. They went on to lose in Game 7 that year. And then in 2015, uh, they made it all the way back to the World Series. He gave up one earned run in the ALDS. uh, And then in the ALCS, five appearances. This is 2015 again. Five appearances in the ALCS, scoreless. 
three appearances in the World Series, scoreless. This is a guy who is extremely underrated, 29 years old, so he's about a year or two younger than some of the other guys, a few years younger than Andrew Miller even, and he was scoffed up by the White Sox for two years, $18 million. I think there is an option for a third year. That's $1 million more a year than Joe Kelly, and I just, like, if you can't, if you're the Boston Red Sox and you're serious about having a good bullpen, Kimbrell has walked so far, Joe Kelly has walked, and you got an extremely affordable guy like that, it's like, you know, what's the plan? You know, what's the plan going forward? Because... Brazier is a nice story, but short sample size there. And we've ridden the Barnes roller coaster for a few years now. And 2018 was obviously the best year he's had so far, but it wasn't, you know, without some, you know, painful stretches at times. And the whole bullpen struggled throughout the month of September before flipping the switch in the playoffs. So it's just. It's brutal to watch all these guys get signed and the Red Sox laying there like a dead fish. Yeah, um, I don't know how many people are going to get this analogy, but you are Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction with Michael Douglas being Kelvin Herrera. You've been obsessed with this guy for quite some time. I don't necessarily blame you. Um, I like the player. Um and I'm actually a little bit surprised by the contract. Um, and, and it almost makes me wonder that there's things maybe that we don't know with regards to maybe some off-the-field trouble or some locker room trouble or, you know, sometimes it's not trouble, but it's just a personality misfit. And that kind of sometimes can linger with an athlete. Um, I'm a little bit surprised by this deal. I'm not surprised the Red Sox weren't involved. And there's just a couple of reasons for that. First, I think they've earmarked some money for Kimbrel. Um, I don't know what the money is. No one knows what the money is, but I think they've got money on the table and I think they want to hold it for Kimbrel. And I know on some level you disagree. Um, on Kimbrel, for me, it really is going to depend on what the money is. Um, if it's three years, $35 million, three years, $40 million, I'm okay with it. If we start to get north of that, I become increasingly less okay with it. And if that's the case, uh, I'm okay holding on to the money for Kimbrell. I mean, he already – he's a fit in Boston. You know what you're going to get out of a guy. And anytime you go outside the city of Boston to, to sign a guy, you don't know how they're going to react to playing in this market. I know you love him, Terry. Um, and I know you think he's a fit in Boston. I'm um, just, just as an aside, there's some, Hey, he hasn't been in this market and this market can chew up some people. Um, but it brings me to my, to my, one of my three concerns that I raised at the top of the, uh, the podcast, the closer, um, it's, it's at this point, Kimball or Kimbrel or bust. And if it's bust, then it has to be Barnes or Brazier, which then makes my second issue even worse, which is this team's biggest weakness was its bullpen, and that was before Kelly left um, and before this whole we may not sign, we may not have a closer at all situation. We are, 
you look, either we sign Kimbrell and we need we still need maybe two arms, or we don't sign Kimbrell and maybe we need three arms. Um, I want to say they signed Carson to a minor league deal or something to that effect. I have no use for that coward, what he pulled, how he hurt himself, how he blamed it on the coaching staff somehow. Um, and I understand maybe some of those comments were right after he got hurt. Still, the, the, that, that guy I just have no use for. I, I honestly, I have some concerns that not only are we potentially cripp- cripplingly bad in the bullpen, we're two, maybe three players away from being serviceable. And all the top guys are gone, like you said. So um, I don't necessarily need to spend $9 million a year on a seventh inning guy, but there's we haven't even addressed it at all. Um, I guess they're waiting for Octavio, um, where he's going to end up. Maybe they find him to be the cheapest option amongst those guys. He hasn't pitched in Boston. We don't know what we're going to get from a guy like that. He hasn't pitched in a major market. Um, so real serious concerns um, just with the bullpen. And um, Herrera, I, I don't know that he necessarily would have been a fit, but at this money, it's like um, at this point we're kind of shaking our heads sitting, well, when are they going to do something? Yeah, I just it it really does sound like they're putting a lot of stock into what they saw in the playoffs, and that's just a really slippery slope. And the other thing too, and I know you're kind of a proponent of this. We've discussed it in the past where some teams are getting away from the closer and they're simply bringing them in. You know, probably in the eighth you know, maybe the later part of the seventh, eighth inning or so when the the heart of the order comes up, you know, in, in the high leverage situations. And you kind of see that with the Diamondbacks. They use, you know, Archie Bradley is their best reliever and, and that's how they were utilizing him. And, and then Brad Boxberger, who has been pretty well up until late last year, was the one actually closing out the ninth innings and you kind of saw the Indians do it with Andrew Miller at times when Cody Allen struggled and Alex Cora is a huge proponent of that strategy and he was talking about it earlier in the season and trying to use Kimbrell in those situations but they abandoned it and they let him go back to the ninth inning and Kimbrell himself has said, you know, he he loves getting saves. Him notching, you know, the most saves every year to climb higher and higher on the all-time saves list is really important to him. And, you know, baseball is getting away from that. And so it just surprises me that Cora, and, and maybe he maybe he has, maybe he has had conversations with, with Dombrowski, but... I just feel like he would want a guy that would be utilized the way teams are starting to do it. And another reason why I like Britain is because he's a lefty and we didn't have a lefty basically all last season. You know, Robbie Scott was up for basically a cup of coffee, sucked and then got optioned. You had Bobby Pointer up, you know, briefly throughout the year and I can't remember if there was another lefty, but there was no one of real prominence. And and Britain kind of fits that and would have been extremely versatile for those late innings in either high leverage or matchup type situations. And 
it, you know, so that was one of my motivations for for targeting him. And I just and then here's the other thing: we're thin at the moment. So what if Barnes gets injured or Brazier gets injured? Then then where are you at if you don't replace any of these guys? It's just crazy. And to wrap it up on Kimbrel, he was the worst reliever in our bullpen. He's a raging head case. At 30 years old, he was tipping his pitches, and I just he's trending the wrong way. I think he represents the worst value of any of the guys that were on the market. Robertson, yeah, he's 34 years old. Yeah, he doesn't blow people away, but he gets guys out, and he's a safe bet. Zach Britton is a safe bet. Kelvin Herrera is a safe bet. Andrew Miller, barring health issues, is a safe bet. He's a lefty. You could have, for all those reasons I listed with Britain, you could have, you could have had Miller in that role. So I just, I'm just not real thrilled with it, you know. And it's just, it's frustrating. Ottavino is the last guy we have been connected to him, basically, you know, since the winter meeting. So. You know, for the for the for the hardcore no on Kimbrel people like myself, you know, there's there's a glimmer of hope. But watch, I don't know, watch the Yankees grab him tomorrow or something, just because they feel like it. Um, I'm just I'm not a no on Kimbrel until it reaches a point where the dollars don't make sense because again, and I've mentioned this a hundred times. So just to touch on it briefly, you have to sign Benintendi, potentially JBJ, potentially Xander Bogarts, potentially Betts, potentially Sale, um, Porcello's uh, contract expires. So there, there comes a point with Kimbrel. I'm okay with it, and then there's going to become a point where I'm just not okay with it. Um, I like the player in the short term. I like the player certainly in 2019. Um, the, this, this bullpen is at this point. It's not even a question. It's like a. It's the next step as I stay awake at night worrying about the bullpen. Um, the only thing I could think of <clears throat> thinking outside the box and maybe trying to put my head in Dombrowski's. You you know just to throw some names at you here. Here's here's what I have for starters, major league ready starters right now, healthy with the Boston Red Sox. Sale, Price, Porcello, Valdi. No question, that's your top four, pending health. Then you've got Erod, Velasquez, and Wright. Two of those guys are going to be in your bullpen, I think, and that may be two of the three pitchers we need with what the team may deem as Ottavino and Kimbrell being maybe the third and fourth arms in. And especially if it's Erod, um, I like it. I'm okay with it, at least to start the season. Because Erod can get you a swing and miss. His velocity will go up in shorter stints. Um, He's a lefty. Um, And I thought he showed some things um, in the playoffs last year in limited opportunities. So if that's the plan, maybe we need to reassess having to sign three or four guys outside the system. Maybe they're just going to push the two guys that don't make the rotation into the bullpen. They're obviously major league ready guys. They all have pitched in Boston. They were all on the team last year that won a World Series, although Velasquez 
was not on the the 25 man roster and Wright was taken off promptly after re-injuring his knee in the uh, ALDS. So that may be one way that the average Red Sox fan is kind of not looking at it, but and it, it literally just came to me the second that you know we do have a we do have seven major league ready starters and pending health, you know, and I think most of them, I think Velasquez, I think they're all out of options. Maybe Wright has one, or Velasquez has one, but it's to the point where you can't just bring them up and put them down to AAA anymore. So that they're gonna be on the major league roster pending trade. And these guys are not the type of guys you're just going to cut because they're all on short money and uh, they have worth to not only this organization, but if this organization is no longer a fit, then there's worth to other organizations. So you'd get an asset for them. So I do think that, you know, and I, and I personally, if it was me, I'd go right as the fifth just because he's such a change of pace. And I'd go Erod and Velasquez in the bullpen, in, in the bullpen, Erod, lefty guy, plus velocity, especially in a shorter outing. And then Velasquez in that long relief role, just because he's such an elite strike thrower and ground ball guy, I just love him in that role. So maybe, maybe another way to look at the bullpen issue is the options are there. We're just currently calling them starting pitchers. Yeah, you make some interesting points, um, you know, and we hadn't discussed that. And quite frankly, I hadn't really thought of it myself. Um I think the only one out of that group with an option is Velasquez at this point. Um, Erod, I'm pretty sure does not, and I'm almost positive Wright doesn't. Um, I think Wright at this point in his career with the uncertainty of his knee would probably have to be in the bullpen anyway just to kind of, you know, just to kind of, you know, protect it or... You the know. only problem with that is that um, one he can't he can't hold runners, so it's tough to bring him into a one run game. And two, um, I see his knee injury the other way, where if he knows he's got to get that knee healthy every fifth day, he can he may be more apt to do it than versus you know having him pitch. And, and let's say there's six games in a week having him pitch two or three games, especially because you know how the bullpen is. He gets up, he gets hot. Oh, we don't need you to sit down. Next day, he gets hot. Now he's in the game. Next day, he's in the game again. You know, it's like you just don't know. You're up, you're down. You have to be ready every single day. Um, and I love the idea of right. Uh, and, and by the way, this is the start of the season. This is we're talking late March, early April. Not where I see everything, you know, shaking out at the end of the year, but he's such a change of pace um, amongst really three power throwers with Sale, Price, Evaldi, and Porcello's not that guy. But you bring Wright in, and maybe you pitch him in the fifth spot so that the next day Chris Sale's ninety six, ninety seven looks even better, um, you know, and. At the end of the day, um, I think you're right on Velasquez, but it was kind of interesting last year where he, despite, and I do think he has, and I'm, I didn't find it in my limited quick Google here, but they didn't uh, demote him. Uh, he stayed with the big club all year long. He made some starts, then he went to the bullpen, and then he made some more starts, but he was like, you know, 
pitching like three or four innings max because he was only at 60 or 70 pitches. They valued him enough to either A, not burn that last option, or B, they just like he makes the big club better and there's just no reason to send him down. But I, I think I think you agree with me, Terry, that these guys are all gonna be on the Red Sox to open the twenty nineteen campaign. Uh, yeah, I think they will be on the roster, especially if uh, no more moves get made. Uh, just another thing on right, though. One of the reasons I do like him in the bullpen, and you kind of touched on it in a sense, but I would love him coming in directly after Chris Sale. You know, Sale goes six innings and is throwing gas if he's capable of that. And then you have Wright come in immediately after and has that knuckleball, that's going to throw a lineup off <laughs> immediately. And, you know, you, you might be able to Strong, do it. Strongly great. What's that? Strong agree. I think it's a, I think it's another way to look at the juxtaposition between, especially with Sale and Price being lefty power guys and Evaldi a righty power guy. It's still, you know, and by the way, back in the day, Wakefield, they, they did that stuff on purpose, you know, where they'd put Wakefield in between two hard-throwing starters, and they just put him in the middle, and you'd get a three-day, you know, you'd get a three, I'm sorry, a three-day, a three-game set, and you'd go power, Wakefield, power. And it was just like some of those teams left Boston shaking their head like, Jesus Christ, we, you know, the whole, the whole juxtaposition of the style just fucked them up, and by the time... They got used to the heat from game one. Then Wakefield comes in, screws it with everyone's timing. You know, and the other thing is there are certain guys back in the day, it was a little bit more um, where you kind of find out that, you know, so-and-so always sat against Wakefield. And I haven't heard that sort of thing with right yet, but you, you know, it's one of those things where certain guys, especially if they're hot, they, they don't want to face a knuckleball. They don't want their timing to get fucked up. So, um, yeah, and that's, that's another way to spin that. And I, and I have no problem if that's what happens because, again, he's two years now away from surgery, so maybe he's healthier than we're giving him credit for. And if he is healthy and the, the knee problem is, you know, so to speak, behind him, I don't, I, then I backtrack off a little bit. I backtrack off my opinion that I think he should be a starter, and I'd be okay in that situation, especially if he could pitch uh, – three days a week and you know come in like come in for sale come in for price come in for a volley especially if they can only make it six and he pitches a seventh i like that i'm okay with that yeah i do too and and like you kind of touched on it would have to be a clean inning you know his whip tends to be up there and you know if if a runner's on first or second and and then he enters the game then you know chances are that that run's gonna come home but uh, yeah, it's just one option. And about Erod, I'm I'm probably a bigger Erod guy than you are. In fact, I'm probably a lot more so. And and he was pretty good to start the year last year. He wasn't efficient by any means. His pitch count would get to a hundred before you know the fifth inning or so, or during it. And but he wasn't really giving up runs. And then he went on the DL and just didn't quite get his rhythm back. And then. By the grace of God, you know, found it in that one World Series game. And I think that might have been, that was the game after Evaldi's, you know, extra innings work where it went 18 innings and, 
you just needed a big start from him, and he came through. And Alex Cora fucked him in the end there. You know, let him face Puig in the seventh inning, you know, when probably should have taken him out, you know, by then. But but he pitched the game of his life that night and, and, and kept us in it. And I just – this for this year, you know, if this ends up being a disappointment in 2019 – You'll, I'll, I'll be a lot less of an Erod guy. I can promise you, and I think he's controllable through twenty twenty one. So still, still a good bit of time left if he can figure it out. You know, it could still end up being a pretty good deal. You know, it seems like forever ago. You know, when we traded Miller for him, and uh, you know, but. But anyway, I do I do like him, uh, you know, at least in the in the fifth spot, as lefty heavy as we are. But uh, well, all right. Uh, so the other kind of this wasn't really a big story, but Evan Drellick um, basically wrote an article talking about the Red Sox have been discussing an extension with one of their core players and his feeling was that it could be Andrew Benintendi and I think we can rule out Mookie Betts at this point because I mean he just hasn't seemed to be willing to um, come to the table and he seems to be in line for probably a 16 17 million dollar arbitration deal uh, you know coming off of a MVP year. He made $10 million last year. So probably not him. I'm guessing it's not Bradley. You know, I don't see a ton of value there. You know, two years left. I don't see why there would be a rush. So is Ben Intendi the guy? Yes. I, I mean, Xander's the Boris guy. Mookie's go. I mean, look, Mookie, Mookie's potentially the best player in baseball. So what Harper and Machado ultimately do this year, and by the way, it doesn't look like Machado's going to get $300 million from from what I'm seeing right now, but it's not the cap. It'll be like a barometer for what Mookie would ultimately get. I, I'm increasingly becoming disenchanted by his chances of being a Red Sox long-term. And if it's three hundred fifty million, four hundred million, I'm okay with that. Like I just don't need that for one player. This is not football where you need a quarterback and you gotta have to you gotta pay him three hundred you know, you gotta pay him thirty million a year. This isn't it's not that's not how baseball works. So, you know, I'm gonna tell you right now, if Mookie thinks he's a three hundred and fifty million dollar player, as much as I love the guy, it's gonna be elsewhere. And I got no problem with that. And I don't even want them engaging. Like, don't engage. Don't even think about it. Don't even, don't even like have the checkbook out a little bit. Like, just move on and go fill roles and focus on the draft and find the next Mookie because you're capable of that. You're the Red Sox. Um, I JBJ, um, his worth is defensively, and I'm just I'm sorry, but you can find athletic center fielders that can play defense that that can go into three month long periods of time where they just don't hit the baseball at all. I mean, I'm like, like have trouble putting the ball in play. Like I, we can find another guy. I like JBJ. I'm not in love with JBJ. Uh, obviously he's another guy who had kind of a glow up in the playoffs. 
uh, you know, nine RBIs on three swings, even though he only had three hits. Like, it's just like, he's not that guy. Uh, we talked earlier today off the podcast, how we were kind of shocked at his first arbitration award was 6.1 million. Seems like a lot of that is defense driven. He's just not a plus offensive player. Uh, he's not a great base runner, uh, above average speed. Just, he, he's not, he's not a great player. So I think it comes down to, and they've already signed Vasquez and the pitching staff is not young. Uh, those guys are all, you know, actually all the top four guys, actually everybody, but Erod Velasquez and Wright is, has already been poached from a different organization. So it has to be Benintendi when you go through that sort of, you know, who could it not be? Right. And so we've, now we come down to, they're not going to sign Devers this early. That's just ridiculous. Um, so it has to be Benintendi. I'm all in if they can get it. Um, I'm going to actually quote from the NBCSports.com Boston article, um, and I'm just going to give you some some kind of barometer. Uh, Terry, you and I have talked about this almost all day, um, but Ronette Adore Rangers, he got $49.5 million for six years and 17. Kevin Kiermaier um, with the Devil Rays got 53.5 over six years. Um, Ender and Charte of the Braves um, – Adubel Herrera, they both got five years and thirty and a half million. I, that's, by the way, super low. I don't think that's a good barometer. Jason Kipnis, six years, fifty-two and a half and fourteen. Andrew McCutcheon, who's won an MVP, he got six years, fifty-one point five million in two thousand twelve. So what you're talking about here with Ben Intendi, he has one year of team control and then three years of arbitration left before he gets to unrestricted free agent in like five in, his, in five seasons from now. So. Um, Basically, the idea would be that they would sign him and give him basically enough money to change his life and the generation behind his. But ultimately, they would ask him to take an overall savings if he were to go year to year. They would also buy into his free agent year, probably one or two years. That's what that's why it would become a six or seven year deal. And that's why all these contracts that I just relayed to you are six or seven years. That's the that's the concept. Out of team control, they find certainty in the arbitration years, and then they buy into the restricted free agent year. Some players, like Mookie, bet on themselves and say, I'm going to take those arbitration years, and then I'm going to go into restricted, uh, unrestricted free agency as soon as absolutely possible. Uh, for Mookie, it looks like it's going to pay off pending an injury this season or next, or a significant, and I, it would take a significant downturn in production. But, um, you know, home, home, um, Hometown wise, Pedroia did this. He uh, he took I think a six year sixty million dollar deal, or I think actually I think it was forty million, and um, he still got to free agency at a relatively young age and got that massive contract that just sucks now. Um, but so that's the concept: save money uh, and take away the uncertainty of arbitration and potentially unre- unrestricted free agency early on. Meanwhile, the player knows that if he blows out his knee tomorrow, he's set for life. And, um, you know, now in Benintendi's situation, he's still trending upward. Uh, he has not had health injury, injury, health concerns. I'm sorry. He's also a smaller bodied player that is really, really athletic and smart in his decisions to dive and slide. So he's not a real uh, injury concern. But I think it makes sense for both sides. 
Um, I don't know how far Benintendi is willing to go on the year-by-year thing. I do know that the Red Sox would like to try to save money on him so that they can lock him up and then still have the, the top-end dollars for maybe a guy like Xander or, if Mookie's realistic, a guy like Mookie. Well, what's a, what's a figure? I have a feeling we're going to be far apart on this, but just for the sake of it, like what like what's a, a ballpark figure that you think he may or may not sign for? All right, so most recently, Ronit Ordor got basically $15 million for six years. Um, I put Benintendi in... I put Benintendi in that range. Um, Kiermaier got a little bit more, same term, six years. Um, I, I wouldn't be upset if it was on the top end of the examples I've given you. Um, if, if he's going to go to 65 or $70 million, I'd still do it. Um, and I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. And if that's what it is going to take to get him for six years, then I would do it. Because it, it, it locks up. There's so many uncertainties with the young guys. And if you got to overpay a little bit for Benintendi to create a certainty, I'm okay with it. Um, because if you roll him into the rest of all these guys we've got to sign, to me it just increases the number of guys we're not going to sign. So I'd overpay a little bit now for a guy like Benintendi. I'd go to $70 million six years, $11 million per, $12 million per. I'm okay with that. And also – I don't think the player would want to do this, but if you could get him to take seven years and make it an $80 million deal, I'd also do that. Yeah, I I think the number for Benintendi is going to come out at at least $15 million per, and if it's a five-year deal, that would make it a $75 million contract. I don't, and if it's a five-year deal, that that eats up one year of free agency, and then a second year would, um, you know, jump it to ninety, and that's assuming it's it's fifteen. If you know, if it comes seventeen or eighteen, then you're you're talking higher figures. Uh, Mookie declined a five-year, one hundred million dollar deal, so that would have been an annual value of twenty million per year. Francisco Lindor uh, also declined a $100 million uh, contract extension. I think that was for six years, though. So that would that would put him at about the uh, you know the Benintendi range I was just talking about. I think that's about 17 million per year. So I think that's about where it goes. Um, the Red Sox clubhouse, though. It just seems like they they just want to go to arbitration. I, I don't know what it is. I was watching an interview with Jackie Bradley, and, and maybe I'm reading into this too much, but it, it happened right after the arbitration cases uh, wrapped up last year, and Bradley got $6.1 million, which we both agree is fairly high, and they, uh, the MLB Network guys, I think it was Matt Vasquez and Harold Reynolds, were congratulating him on that. And then uh, they they were like, "How about your boy Mookie? You know, he uh, he set the record for the first year, you know, of any arbitration player at ten million. And Bradley, in kind of an attitude-ish type way, was like, "Good, you know, like 
because the front the the Red Sox ownership group. Let's face it, they have you know they've been a little tight sometimes. Look at the Lester situation. Um, there must there must be at least another example in there where we didn't pay a player, and I you know so. I just think there there's a culture of of Red Sox players specifically that want to go to arbitration. Can I just jump in on JBJ here for a minute? Sure. He's a douchebag. Okay. <laughs> he he was part of the Eck Brigade and what and, and this is lost on a lot of people who didn't maybe focus in that moment on what was happening. Jackie Lee Jr. tricked Eckersley on the tarmac of a trip around that same month that the Price uh, Eck thing happened and said, hey, um, Eck, let me take a photo for you. And he took a photo and then he posted on Instagram with some sort of caption like, here he is. Here's the guy that, you know, chirps me on TV and motivates me every day to prove him wrong. Like, I'm sorry, Jackie. Get over yourself. Here's a top 50 player of all time. You're frankly a nobody. You're you're a middling player in this era of baseball. He he doesn't get it. He he doesn't get it. And as good as he was in the postseason, and as good as he is defensively, I mean, he goes into periods of time where he is the worst offensive player in baseball. And I'm not. I don't have stats to say you know. You know, for 100 plate appearances last year, he had no PS in like the 550 range. But I bet you he did. I mean, he sucks. He swings through pitches like no one I've ever seen. He's really a below average base runner for his level of speed. Um, as well as, as much baseball intelligence as he has defensively tracking fly balls, playing angles, especially at Fenway Park, which is notoriously difficult. He's really a below average intelligent baseball player on, in every other facet. I mean, he's, he's not a good base runner. He should be. He's, 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 he's fast. He's athletic as hell. Um, he, his swing seemingly develops a hole in it every year for a period of months plus defensive player, that's it. But he's a douchebag, and I don't like that thing he did with Eckersley. I don't like that he was part of the Price-Eck brigade. And to me, I would just rather go find a different athletic uh, center fielder who isn't going to come at a – I mean, by the way, if he got $6.1 million last year in arbitration, what's he going to get this year, Eight and a half, nine? I mean, you've got to be out of your fucking mind. He's not that good. He's not worth that. Yeah, I mean that that is probably about what he'll get. Um yeah, I I don't know. I, he's not going to and he's a Boris guy as well, but in his case that's not going to translate to you know big money by any means and he'll be lucky if it's 10 or more. And yeah, you know, he's got two years to try to increase his value a little bit more. He was phenomenal in 2016. I mean, he hit almost 30 bombs his he was roughly a 280 guy and you know the glove he was carried by that 33 game hit streak though well true that was probably a big part of it and i'm not i'm not a big bradley guy and you know for the first few months of last season i was like hoping we could trade him you know he was the one guy i just wanted to get rid of and uh you know the other guys that were on were always on nunez's case and you know, it was the opposite for me, but, um, 
you know, if the right deal came along, I would certainly move Bradley. I mean, we don't really have a, a, an immediate solution to replace him, but, you know, someone could be picked up and, and, and whatever. We, we, the, the solution is either Mookie or Benintendi in the center. And then probably Benintendi because you don't want Mookie to have that extra wear and tear. So it's probably going to be Benintendi. And then it's left field at Fenway Park. I mean, for Christ's sake, Manny Ramirez somehow found a way to play left field at Fenway Park for eight seasons. So, I mean, you can figure it out. Maybe you don't have to necessarily have a ready-made center fielder. You have options with Betts and Benintendi. But I, I, I'll tell you right now, I will fly to Logan, fly to wherever Jackie Bradley Jr. lives, drive him to Logan, and make sure he gets on that plane if that means we can get at, get him out of town and bring a cheaper option in for any number of reasons, like a closer, uh, a bullpen arm or two, depth in, the, depth in the minor leagues. I mean, I will literally drive him to the airport for, for Boston Red Sox so they don't have to incur that expense. Yeah, I, and there's another I, – I meant to look this up before we came on, but I saw a report earlier. Actually, the Sports Hub here has it. Um, apparently, the Red Sox were more active in trying to trade him, whereas the previous two seasons, they were declining trades, you know, from outside GMs trying to acquire him. And uh, apparently, they just couldn't find – you know, they couldn't find a deal that they liked. And I can kind of see the motivation now because, like you said, he's going to make roughly $8 million or so. And Mookie's going to jump up 7 or $8 million from last year. Bogart's had a pretty good year. I think he made 7 or $8 million last year. So he's probably in line for roughly twelve. So a lot of these arbitration cases are starting to really add up now. And... You know, to be able to remove eight million or whatever for, you know, from what Bradley's going to make, you know, might might be appealing to them. But uh, apparently, it didn't didn't happen. Um, but it, it could though in the next four weeks or so. Uh, another thing here, you were kind of ruling out certain guys. You know, when we eventually got to Ben Benintendi. There are two other guys that it could be. Uh, number one, which is, we've talked about this, and, and I hope this does not happen You know, before the season starts, is uh, Chris Sale. He was, he was openly telling the media that he would love to sign an early extension. So I, you know, the optimist in me, you know, hopes that the Red Sox are smart enough to, you know, see what, he does, you know, for the bulk of the season. Uh, another guy, too, and this guy, I'm not saying I believe that this guy is the one that was approached, but you can make a case for it, is J.D. Martinez. And the reason why he might be more motivated now than he might have been immediately once the hot stove season began is he's looking at the market sputtering a little bit and... A lot of guys are, are just not getting the money. Harper might be up there. And I, I got something I want to add about him in a few minutes here. But, um, you know, he, he'll probably get more than $300 million. Maybe Machado gets there. 
I have a feeling he's probably going to be in the 270, 280 range when all is said and done. But he's going to fall short of expectations. Yasmani Grandal isn't a J.D. Martinez type guy, but he's a solid bat. You know, he's a 20, you know, 2070 guy, roughly. And one of the top offensive catchers and he declined a four-year 60 million dollar deal with the Mets thinking he could get a little bit better and he didn't he in fact he didn't even get a two-year deal with someone he had to sign a one-year 18 million dollar deal just above the qualifying offer with the Milwaukee Brewers. So that's a guy who just completely misread his market. And I, I thought he was going to get paid. Like the, the Mets contract did seem about right, but he just thought where, you know, he was basically the top offensive catch on the market. He could get there. He didn't. And I just think, you know, if, if JD finds a deal he can live with, whether that's, I mean, he's got four years remaining on his current five-year deal, but some of that's at shorter money at the back end. So I think I would think, and I'm just guessing, I'm thinking maybe five years, $150 million would probably be top of the market. That's probably overpaying, but it's probably what it would take to get it done. That's $30 million a year for, for the next five years. And... I can't imagine him, he'll be 33 years old after he opts out. I just can't see, I can't see him getting a massive deal, you know, when these 20-something-year-olds are falling short. So it wouldn't shock me at all if, you know, between now and the middle of spring training, if they agree to a deal. I don't disagree, and I think rewriting Martinez's deal doesn't foreclose them also talking to Benintendi. Um, the way I read Drellich's report with the core players, to me, that's the the killer B outfield. The young Bogarts. guys. Like, yeah, you know, like, sale, sale. When you hear a core player, uh, core players are kind of guys that are there from the from the from the beginning to the end. They're not guys that show up in the middle, no matter how good they are. And now, now you're really getting me to read into this, right? But that's how I read it. Like, Sale showed up, JD Martinez showed up. So to me, it seemed like guys, you know, homegrown guys, guys that are still there. That was the guy that made sense. Um, I think, it, you know from what I'm looking online, especially in the last few minutes while you were speaking, it seems like that is the consensus that people do think it's Benintendi. Um, I, I am with you on sale. I don't need to see a extension until we determine how healthy he is. So until he throws another pitch, there, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense unless he's willing to sign cheap. And then even if he is willing to sign cheap, aren't you willing to, aren't you concerned that he's willing to do that? Cause he know he's hurt. So I'm just, to me, wait on sale. Just, just wait on sale. Like he likes being here. The Red Sox want him. If he's healthy, there'll be an opportunity to sign him with JD. I'm a hundred percent, you know, if get rip up the contract, give him the same length, but give him an increase in AAV. He's earned it. He's worth it. And buy out those option years, hundred um, percent. And I think if they do that, 
You're talking an additional $5 million per year on his AAV. That doesn't foreclose going after the Benintendi deal like we've been talking about. Yeah, and I mean, it probably was Benintendi, and I agree that they could sign both, you know. And I, if that does happen, then bye-bye Mookie, obviously, you know, because the three of them, you know, and then to have a decent starting rotation, you already got price on your books. I just I couldn't see bets uh, coming back for sure. Um, I just there was a little bit of audio that cut in. I I was on an NBC Sports site um, trying to look something up. Uh, th- I wanted to just mention this real quick because it, it's an interesting um, dynamic going on. Harper had a meeting with the Nationals, it must have been at least two or three weeks ago, and it wasn't talked about beforehand. It kind of came out a few days later that the meeting had taken place. It was roughly a five-hour meeting, and then there was reports from a guy named Tim Tim, uh, Bynum or something. I I don't want to go back on that site because I'll get the audio feedback, but he, he basically works for NBC Sports, and he had a report come out uh, right after that that the Nationals are actually willing to play Harper, pay Harper much more than 300. So much more in quotes. So I don't know if that's an extra 30 million, an extra 50 million, an extra 70 million. I have no idea how to interpret that, but apparently they do have a second offer on the table. And why that is interesting to me is the Phillies are meeting with Harper this weekend. And interestingly enough, they're going to Harper. Harper's not going to them. Machado took the national tour. You know, he went to every ballpark, met with every GM, wined and dined at their finest restaurants in their respective cities. Harper's like, no, you're coming to me. And uh, anyway, so they, the Phillies uh, executives, including their owner, are going out to Las Vegas this uh, weekend to meet with him. Now, they're obviously aware that the Nationals are coming in well over $300 million now. So just say the number, say say it's going to take the Phillies three fifty to sign Harper. If Machado's their guy, why... Why are they below three hundred on him, but they're going to go three fifty on Harper? I just, I, I don't get the direction right now of the Phillies. Um, to me, it seems like a pretty clear cut answer because Machado's worth is tied into to to wins and losses, and Bryce Harper's value is tied into wins and losses plus marketability. And that's why, to me, it seems like for the last month we've heard that teams are willing to go to a certain degree with Harper where they're not with Machado. Again, Machado's a scumbag. He's a dirtbag. He's a dirty player. He's a douchebag. I could think of additional colorful language, but I'm going to refrain because this is a family program. Harper's clean cut, religious, married to his uh, high school sweetheart, zero trouble whatsoever, clean player, plays hard. Um, has some, you know, showmanship issues that some fans don't like, but you're not going to hear net negative things against him. 
good looking, long hair, you know, all those things that go into him selling hair gel and shoes and suits and whatever else he wants to hawk. And a team is going to recoup that money because they're going to be able to sell the athlete. They're going to be able to put him out in front of the franchise and they're going to make their money back um, outside of the effect on wins and losses. Whereas with Machado, he's a scumbag, he's a dirtbag, he's dirty, and he's not marketable. And he's worth a lot of money because he's a very good player, but he's his worth is limited to the, the win-loss total that he can affect on the diamond. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little surprising, that's all. Um, you know, because all we've heard is that they really like Machado, and um, you know the fact that Harper could potentially be seventy-five to eighty million dollars more is just a little. Well, look, surprising. these are still these are still businesses, right? And the, and to the credit of most teams, not all teams, <clears throat> Devil Rays um, ownership does want teams their team to win and they want them to be in the playoff hunt. They want them to be competitive. Um, and so, you know, a lot of owners are good owners and, and, you know, but even the best owners know that, especially with a guy like Harper, he's a twofold dynamic. I mean, he's a, he's a really good player who I frankly underachieved last year, which should give some teams some concern, but he has marketability and, you know, you're, you're still a business and yes, your fans only care about wins and losses, but fans that care about wins and losses go, Oh, wait a minute. Bryce Harper wears a Puma jacket. Oh shit. I want that Puma jacket. And that's just the way it is. And I mean, I've done it and I realized after I bought the product, like I can't believe I just got, you know, hoodwinked into this, but you know, Tom Brady's wearing Under Armour pajamas. So I got to have a pair. I mean, it's a factor. It's a factor. It has to be a factor. It is a factor. Everyone admits it's a factor. And I think it's certainly a factor in this dynamic. Uh, just one thing I'd like to read uh, from Ken Rosenthal. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, this is what I believe, but he, you know, it's an interesting uh, observation. Uh, Rosenthal writes for The Athletic and says, uh, about the, the meeting with Harper, he goes, uh, contract talks are, uh, as my phone shuts off, contract uh, talks are fluid, and it's possible, perhaps even likely, the Nationals will upgrade their offer. The White Sox and Phillies are interested in both Harper and free agent infielder Manny Machado. Uh, a contingent from the Phillies front office is scheduled to meet with Harper in his native Las Vegas on Saturday. If the Phillies' preference is Machado, as some in the industry believe, then the meeting, from their perspective, might simply be a ploy to drive up the price for the Nationals, a division rival. Harper and Boris, in fact, might be proceeding with the same motivation. And uh, that's what Rosenthal writes. I'm not so recent. That stuff has happened. Why is about that stuff has happened? We might be on the same page then because the Yankees did it to us with Carl Crawford and took him out, wined and dined him, remained, you know, supposedly remained in the race for him, but the Red Sox took the fateful plunge and signed one of the worst contracts and. 
franchise history, which is a bummer because I, I loved Carl Crawford and, you know, I couldn't have been more disappointed than anyone really. Um, but well, Theo Epstein did that too. I think he did that with Johnny Damon. Um, I don't remember who the GM at the time was, but there was, there was clearly no real interest with Jacoby Ellsbury, but they offered him a, a deal, you know, at least through the media um, that, I mean, you know, so there's a lot of gamesmanship that goes on and I love it. And, and I, both the Yankees and the Red Sox have been involved in it. Um, so, you know, it, it makes sense, um, that teams are trying to screw with other teams. Um, especially when they're all competing for the same players. Cause in the situation with the Phillies, you know, they're, they want, you know, they're, they, they haven't been shy at all. I mean, they want one or the other. Um, so something to think about. Yeah. Well, the one thing is though, I mean, do the Phillies really, if they're not going to sign Harper, do they really want him in the division? You know, do they want him to still be a national? I mean, the nationals are going to kill themselves. I saw something today on MLB network. If they sign Harper, and I forget what the figure was, I don't know if it was $35 million annually or what, but they got, they'd have Harper, Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin, and I can't remember if there was one more player, and then uh, Anthony Rendon could all potentially be $140 million just for the six players. That is unsustainable, so... That's why I'm kind of surprised they're going higher than their initial offer for Harper, but but apparently their owner, you know, likes to spend money and you know, and I've never really cared for that organization anyway, but um it's just uh it's interesting. Uh one other uh scenario though where another team drove up the value of a player Apparently the the Yankees might have done it with David Robertson when he hit free agency the first time because if you remember he went to the White Sox for a few years signed a pretty sizable deal there and I can't remember who wrote the article I read it earlier today apparently the Yankees just kind of remained in the race pretended to be interested so they were doing their their guy a favor by helping him land a bigger contract, even though it was with the White Sox, and you know, so like you said, it, it does happen. But um, yeah, so we'll see. And uh, all right, one thing I'd like to before we sign off, one thing I'd like to just chime in on here. Sure. Um, last podcast obviously you and i got into it pretty good on uh, machado and i'd like to update my theory um i've read a lot in the last week um and i still think that the chance of him being a yankee is better than not so i'm going to re- revise my percentage from 100 percent to 51 percent. he goes to the yankees um so all you people that call me hard-headed and everything else, stuff it because I just cut my prediction in half. Um, but I, I've read some things that I'm I'm just going to back off because at, at this point there's just so much kind of conflicting information. Um, I'm hearing from reputable baseball guys on Twitter and elsewhere that 
no one is open quote open quote close to 300 million close quote i've also heard things like the yankees are not willing to go over 200 million so what's not close to 300 i mean is that 250 is it 275 is it 225 i mean it and i think you can agree with this terry it's very very clear where machado wants to be he wants to be a new york yankee no one i think is going to dispute that now the difference is if the yankees are truly only saying 200 million eight years or whatever it is take it or leave it and the phillies are willing to go to 250 i i mean i don't think you'd have to be a crazy person not to go to 250 and take the phillies offer if it's 225 if it's something less is he willing to take a bit a little bit less to go to new york And that's where I think the analysis is at right now based on what I'm seeing within even the last 15 minutes of kind of clicking through Twitter as we've been doing the podcast. The other thing, and I don't discount this because there's examples of it, and I'm going to tell you what I think could happen, and then I'll give you the examples. The Yankees have had a history of laying in the weeds and floating interest but not being you know the 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 lead guy in the first lap you know mario kart you know it you know how it is uh you get out and head first place in that first lap and the game speeds everyone else up and slows you down and that happens so when you're the lead dog the market rises and you're sitting there going on now we have to keep increasing our offer and you can seem needy so what they're doing in my opinion is letting the phillies and the white Sox lead the race and they're sitting there and they're going we want the player and I think we're going to get the player, but we're not going to be the person who continues to increase the market. We're going to lay in the weeds and we're going to jump when we feel like it's the last minute. And I could be wrong, um, but there are some examples. They did this with A-Rod where, uh, and I know the circumstances may have been a little bit different because the Red Sox were actually came to terms with A-Rod and then um, Selig jumped in and interfered and freed him up for the Yankees to sign him. But there's other examples. Teixeira. Teixeira had other offers, and the Yankees jumped in really, really late, if I recall, on Teixeira, um, who wound up, by, by the way, being a really, really good player for them for a long time and then sucked the last year when he was totally cooked. And there are other examples, but I won't bore you with them. I think my point has been proven that I think it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I think the Yankees are going to have to come up, though, you know, from where they're at. Um I did see something today, and it kind of resonated with me. When they signed Tulowitzki, they immediately came out and said, this doesn't impact anything. But the reports I saw today and yesterday is that the Yankees haven't been active in several days, and it, it really does coincide with the Tulowitzki acquisition. So, you know, maybe they get in it, but... I think the market is going to rise here and the Phillies are going to, I think the Phillies are going to get stupid and and maybe the White Sox, the White Sox are clearly the most emotionally invested because they're, they're playing all these little fuck fuck games to try to get them to, you know, to choose them, you know, by bringing in people close to him. But, but you, you got that. And I, I just, the Phillies have the stupid money and, their owner is on record saying that they're going to be spending money this offseason, and he even said that they would be stupid about it. So I just I think the numbers are going to jump up. And 
I have seen similar. We've probably seen the same stuff, really, that the Yankees were around $200 million, But it also came out yesterday that um, Brian Cashman, the Yankees GM, hasn't made a formal offer yet. And I think that's such a crock of shit because everybody knew with Corbin that they would have went five years, $100 million, But... They didn't, quote, make a formal offer because they knew the Nationals were going to blow them out of the water. And I just think for Cashman, it bruises his ego. (laughs) It hurts his pride to get rejected, you know. So they love to use the word formal, but... Right now, I mean, if it's, if they're at $200 million, like Heyman was suggesting, that's probably eight years, $25 million a year. If it's seven years, I, I'm bad at math, what would that be? Well, 210 would be over seven years would be, be 175 No, 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 I mean, what's 200 divided by seven? It'd be roughly 28, I think, $28 million a year. Uh, so I, those are just some observations. I, I think Cashman is just, I, he's a clown show. I don't, I don't think he's a very good GM. Yankee fans love him, but look at their pitching rotation right now. And, w- and we've talked about it. You know, as much as we do agree that Machado wants to go there, it's stupid for them to do it because they have Miguel Andahar. Who would have been like the number three or four offensive player on the Red Sox in in twenty eighteen? Well, they they don't just have Miguel Andahar; they just signed Tulo. Didi's coming back, and Didi's an all star player. It makes no sense. They're desperate right. for pitching. They should be desperate for pitching. They're not desperate for pitching for whatever fucking reason. And it's great. It's great because we're sitting here. We're clearly the better team. I think there's still a move we're going to make. Two moves we're going to make. We're going to get better. Um. You know, and our young talent's going to continue to improve. Like, Andrew Benintendi's going to be better than he was last year. So, um, you know, I love it. I smile. Um, you know, it's a great time to be a Boston sports fan. I know you're not a huge football player, but we're on the we're on the eve of another hopeful Patriots run. They got a big challenge uh, with the Chargers. Celts are playing well. Bruins are playing well. Like, it's all, it's all – I know this is a Red Sox podcast, but it's all trending up. And um, I think – the Red Sox are going to go in to this season with the idea of repeating. And if they can go in and be competitive in the first three months of the season, they're going to be active at the trade deadline. They're going to fill needs. They're going to get better and they're going to load up and try to win it again. Um, And frankly, with what the Yankees have done, or I, I guess I should say what they haven't done, the East is you know, unless they just underperform, the East is clearly the Red Sox, in my opinion, to lose. So, you know, I'm a happy camper. Um, at the same time, like, get with it, baseball. Can we start getting some of these guys signed so we can have the conversations? We're inside 30 days to pitchers and catchers for some of these teams. So, I mean, it's like, come on, let's get this show on the road here. I'll say by what's today, Thursday. I'll say by a week from Monday, one of the big two will be signed. And then from there, it should just kind of accelerate. Cause especially if it's Machado, because that now Moustakis is, isn't, you know, held hostage by the Machado talks. He'll, 
he'll go, you know, to a team and DJ LeMay, he was out there. He's a he's a middle infielder, but a lot of people are really getting held up right now. So once Keiko, well, yeah, he's a pitcher, but yeah. But once Machado goes, that really will set off a domino effect, and people will finally start to get signed. And we did kind of see it this week, you know, with Grandall and, uh, you know, the two relievers and and whatnot. So we'll see. We're we're inching closer to pitchers and catchers, so we'll uh, just kind of, you know, enjoy the, you know, NFL playoffs for now, I guess. But uh, any final thoughts before we wrap? Um, no. My final thought is I hope these guys make a goddamn decision so the rest of it can fall into place and we can get on with the season, which, you know, it's we're in the middle of January. We're, get, we're getting really, really close to baseball season. And down here in Florida where I live, I can go watch it earlier than most people. So, um, you know, we're getting there. Yep. Yes, you're you're getting there. I'm I'm stuck in Maine, but yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, have have a good night, Jeremy, and uh, we'll. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe Sunday. Maybe Wednesday. Who knows? But we'll uh, we'll be on soon enough. Terrence, thanks, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, that will conclude. I think this is episode 111. You'd think I'd have that info when I logged on, but uh, yeah, apparently not. Uh, So we'll continue to watch the market. Red Sox, like I said, laying there like a dead fish. And uh, hopefully they'll uh, do something, get the juices flowing, get everybody engaged, and... uh, make the team better so uh anyway thanks for joining us and have a good rest of your week and your weekend and uh if you're gonna be parked in front of the tv watching nfl playoffs then uh enjoy those i'm, I'm looking forward to them even though i'm a baseball guy so take care Dirty water, Tessie, and sweet carol.